we all have stories, and stories shape our lives. In fact, our life is kind of made up of stories. In fact, let me tell you one of my stories. A few years ago, I kind of prided myself in being the ugly American. I had zero desire to live the great, leave the great United States of America. In fact, I used to tell people, if I want to see the world, I'll go to Epcot. You can see the whole world one day and drink the water. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, right? And I was actually meeting with our missions team one time. They said, Mike, we wish you'd go on a mission trip because we think if you would go, it would inspire other people to go. I'm like, I ain't going. I'm here to reach the triangle. I'm not here to do that global stuff. I only have so much passion. And then we hosted the Global Leadership Summit. And uh, since we hosted it for the community, I actually had to be here. And uh, I'll never forget, it was a Friday afternoon, and I sat right behind the sound booth, and I was a little bitter because I had to preach that weekend, and I felt I should be upstairs in my office working on my message. So I brought my notes down with, I had no intention uh, of, of listening because it was, it was Bono, the U2, you know, rock star. And I'm like, what does this guy know about leadership? He ought to be listening to me about leadership. Right. But anyway, they interviewed him, and the interview was about how he had leveraged his influence to make a difference for the kingdom of God in the world. And I'll never forget, someone asked him in the interview, so what changed? He said, you know what? God and Jesus both told us at separate times, Old Testament and New Testament, you got to love your neighbor. And he said, at the end of the day, you got to figure out who that is. I mean, is someone not your neighbor just because they don't live on your street? Is someone not your neighbor just because you're separated by a border or maybe even an ocean? you got to decide who is your neighbor. And i got to tell you, I don't know why, but at that moment... The Holy Spirit in my life, that just exploded in my heart and mind. When that session was over, I went straight up to my office. I got on the phone. I called Jim Hawking, who I had known for 30 years, uh, who had been working in the Central African Republic, the poorest country on the earth. I said, Jim, I know you've been bugging me for 25 years to come over there. I'm ready to do it. I applied for my passport in a few weeks. I was in CAR. And because of that, I came back and shared the story with you. We literally have raised millions of dollars where we have drilled wells all over the Central African Republic. It's changed their life. It's given them, it's given them better health, hygiene. And on top of that, we were able to find young African pastors who had been trained and send them into those villages, many of them out with the pygmies in the rainforest, and start churches where they could understand the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. But that, that was part of my story because of the Global Leadership Summit. And I tell you that because uh, coming up August the 11th and 12th, we're going to be hosting it again. And it's going to be at our Morrisville campus. It is incredible. Because we're hosting it, it's only $89 a person for the two-day event. It will be uh, simulcast live from Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. But you will not want to miss it. It's for marketplace people. It's for ministry people. It's for people who just want to figure out how God wants them to leverage their influence to make a difference in the world. It could become part of your story as to what God is going to be leading you to do. In fact, I, I kind of made a note here while Tony's video was playing. Since then, we've worked in the CAR, Haiti, Belize, Hungary, Uganda, Costa Rica, Honduras, uh, soon to be France, and one day we may even go to the foreign country of Fuquay Varina. I mean, it's a whole different world out there, but we're, we're praying about that. But listen, you don't have to go to Africa to change the world. Next Saturday night, we're having a Rock Your World concert. It's at Rally Point, uh, which is on Harrison Boulevard, right across from SAS. We're raising money for the Hope for Haiti Foundation. We believe we're going to raise $100,000 next Saturday night. Four bands will be there, including the Band of Brothers with Carl. By the way, that band began 
to go on a mission trip. They went to Kyrgyzstan, and they played some good old classic American rock and used that platform to share the gospel. They're going to be there. Nantucket's going to be there. A lot of you have heard of that band. And it's just going to be a great time to get together, hang out together, get to know one another. I'm going to be up there right after the Saturday service and just kind of party, put, you know, put our party on a little bit and raise some money for a great cause. We're actually selling tickets in the lobby. They're $20. The cool thing about this is they're only selling 800 tickets, and someone has put up $2,000, and one of those, they're going to do a drawing among those 200 tickets, or 800 tickets, and somebody's going to win $2,000. See, that's better than the lottery. You can't hardly lose, even if you don't go to the concert, right? So it's a great cause. You can be a part of that. And let me say one last thing. Uh, a few weeks ago, I told you that we needed to raise $1.3 million above our regular giving. By the way, our offerings here at Hope have to be about $250,000 a week. Isn't that amazing? I never in my life thought that we would be able to have that much impact in the world. But on top of that, about $1.3 million to keep our apex building moving. It's not a worship center like this. We're actually building a 110,000-square-foot community center. It's going to be open seven days a week to the community of Apex, Holly Springs. Uh, there'll be a gym with two full basketball courts, six vo volleyball courts. Uh, there'll be weight rooms, and there's aerobic rooms, and all those things going on. Daycare for over 350 children, a Starbucks, and all of those things so people can come in during the week, and we can build relationships and lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then on the weekends, the gym will transform into a worship center that will seat over 1,500 people. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. It's going to be open. We'll be able to take advantage of it. By then, uh, the government's going to help us figure out what bathrooms we can use and which shower to use and stuff like that. So I'm encouraged by that. But... Uh, uh, next, by Friday, that's the deadline of raising this $1.3 million. And, it's, you know, we don't have any sugar daddies at Hope. We have nobody's writing seven-figure checks. This is about all of us doing our part, and I believe God's going to do some amazing things, and we're going to celebrate it. So let's finish strong. Now, speaking of finishing, uh, this is the last week of our series on relationships. And so far, we've learned basically this. God has simply called us to treat each other the way that he has treated us. And we've seen in this series... That Jesus, he wants us to be so committed to this principle. This is what he said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, in other words, Jesus said, new sheriff in town. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, Jesus says this, regardless of who the person is, regardless of what that individual has done to you, Jesus made this statement. If you follow me, I want to take you to the place where you actually love that person. And then the series, we're figuring out how do we do that, right? He wants us to make that choice. By the way, I came across a great quote by Martin Luther King. He said this, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. See, that's the wise man who made the right choice. Now, let me just say this. Whenever I, whenever I do a series, and Donnie and I do a series on relationships, you're, you're going to hear messages about unconditional forgiveness and unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Uh, but in this series, this is what I'll hear over and over again, whether it's at Target, whether it's at Kroger, whether it's in the atrium, wherever it is, the car wash. Yeah, but Mike, you got to hear my story. I know you said I got to forgive them, I got to accept them, that Jesus wants me to love them, but you really, really need my, to hear my story. And what they're implying is this if you knew my story, see, if you knew my ex wife, if you knew my ex-husband, if you knew my mother-in-law, right, if you knew my dysfunctional parents, if you knew my situation, you would tell me, Mike, this doesn't apply to you. You are the exception to the rule. Your situation is so bad, you get a pass. Your situation is so unique, you get to sit over here in the section that says you do not have to love your enemy. In fact, I got an email this week from a very unhappy lady that goes to Hope, <laughs> did go to Hope, and... Uh, and she let me know she's never coming back again because she said, I've been coming to Hope and I've loved Hope and I've sat through this series and I've been waiting for the week where you said there are actually some exceptions to loving your neighbor. 
And she says, since you never got there, I'm never coming back again. Now, let me just say this. I know every week a lot of you have walked out of here thinking, oh, it's really easy for Mike. He's a minister. It's really easy for Mike to sit up there and say, you know what, love your enemy. Well, first of all, let me say this. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. In fact, I wouldn't say it. I don't even think it's a good idea. I, 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 would, I would actually prefer to hate my enemy. Say, understand, this is what Jesus said. Don't, so don't be upset with me. Send Jesus an email. Let me know if he responds, right? But, uh, and I understand these are emotionally charged topics, right? Because a lot of us have a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of baggage in our past. Let me again reiterate. Don't just take one thing you hear in a statement this com- out of a series this complicated and run with it. You got to take the whole series. You got to look at the whole body of work. From day one, we've said this isn't, this isn't about you being in a warm and fuzzy relationship with someone who betrayed you or abused you or, or somehow abandoned you. We're not talking about that. Jesus said, I want you to love your enemy, and he used the word agape, which means we seek their highest good. In other words, we're not out to get them anymore. We're hoping that God will do something amazing in their life. That's what we're hoping for. I'm not saying you pretend like it never happened. We talked about the importance of boundaries, you know. I mean, good gracious, if you had an uncle that molested you as a child, now you're an adult and you have children, I'm not saying, yeah, you got to let that uncle babysit your kids. We're not talking about those kinds of things. Last week, we talked about the importance uh, uh, of, of, of engaging into that relationship of the person who hurt us and looking for brokenness, seeing if there's any sign of repentance whatsoever where maybe, yeah, we still got barriers, but maybe we can remove one of them. And we're one step closer to having that relationship, that restoration. I had a lady walk up to me last night, and she says, Mike, I'll just tell you this without telling you my whole story. She said, my stepmother murdered my father. And she said, because of this series, I've now reached out to her. And I'm looking for brokenness. I'm looking for repentance. Has there been any change whatsoever? And then I'll decide whether I can take the next step. See, I think that, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're asking for in this series. But you know, a lot of people walked out every weekend thinking, I'm still not sure this applies to me, and if it does apply to me, I am going to need a personal visit from God to tell me how it applies to me because I have no clue. Mike, you really should hear my story. And I got to thinking about that. I, I, pro- I mean, it is rude of me to say, I, I, this is not about your story. I mean, you have some amazing stories. In fact, you may be the exception. You may be the one exception. And I thought, wouldn't it be a shame I speak to thousands of people every weekend? Maybe there's the exception here. So I thought, well, I probably need to hear your story. So I'm going to do this on the count of three. Everybody just go ahead one time, tell me your story. I'll try to figure them out. And at least I can say I've heard your story. Okay, one, two, three, go. Yes, well, don't say I didn't give you the chance. Okay, I gave gave you the chance. Now, here's the thing. I I, I don't want to hear your story. Instead... This, I'm going to tell you your story. Actually, I'm going to allow the Apostle Paul to tell you your story. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Let me just say as you're turning, uh, this is a message for Christians. This is for those people who have already made the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, and if you're not there yet, here's the good news. It's a great weekend for you to be here because I'm not even going to be talking to you. So you don't have to feel guilty about anything. You get a free pass this weekend, but I'm glad you're here because I really believe over the next few minutes, you're going to get a very, very clear picture of what Christianity is all about. So the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, let me give you a little bit of background so this message will make some sense this weekend. Uh, 
the book of Ephesians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, a small group of Christians in the city of Ephesus. They lived in the first century. But this is what I want you to know. There's more information about relationships in the book of Ephesians than any other book in the Bible. For example, this is where the dreaded statement occurs. Children, obey your parents. See, it's in the book of Ephesians. But see, this is also where it says, husbands, love your wives. Is Christ love the church? And this is where the men want to go, whoa, 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 wait a second. I really need to tell you my story. But see, ladies, it gets even worse because this is where the dreaded S word shows up. Because this is where Paul says, wives, submit to your husband. And this is where the ladies are like, whoa, 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 Mike, Mike, before I submit to my husband, you really got to hear my story. All of that stuff and more is in this book. And I'll be honest with you, I hate to preach about any of that stuff because I know you're just going to walk out of here and ignore me anyway. See, but Paul knew exactly how we were going to feel and how we were going to react when we heard words like submit and love and obey. And he knew that if we were really going to take to heart any of these truths that God was going to give us in regards to relationship, we need to understand our story. And so at the very beginning of this book, Paul says, listen, I, I know you really, really want to tell me your story, but I want you to sit back, I want you to listen, because I need to tell you a part of your story that maybe you've overlooked or maybe you've forgotten, or I need to tell you a part of your story maybe you're not even aware as a Christian, that is part of your story. So when you get to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is really just setting us up. He's kind of preparing us for what he's going to say later on about relationships. But this is what he says beginning Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses on the screen. He says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. So every spiritual blessing he's giving us. And then he begins to list those blessings. And he kind of blitzes right through it. And there's actually enough here for a series. But let's just look at it this weekend. It says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 4, in love he predestined us. You know what that means? That means that before we were even born. It means even before the world was created, if you are a Christian, you were chosen, you were predestined to be a child of God. And don't ask me to explain it, because I don't fully understand it. And anybody who tells you they do fully understand it, they're lying. Because we have to remember, we have finite gods. My, God, is, uh, God is an infinite creature. But I think this is what Paul is saying. Somehow before creation, God looked at us. He pictured us and said, I want you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And I want that one and 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 that one. And God said, I am going to God-proof those people. I am going to change them in such a way that they're going to be able to spend eternity with me. I am going to make them perfect. I am going to make them holy. They cannot make themselves perfect and holy. God said, I am going to do that. I am going to God-proof them. And then he continues in verse 4. In love he predestined us. To be adopted as his, as his sons through Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not just going to be part of a club. You're going to be part of a family. And the reason you're going to be a part of a family is because, see, God decided to adopt you. By the way, let me just say this. Uh, adoption in the, de uh, in, in the Greek world, it, it was different than adoption in our world. See, when we adopt, we typically adopt babies or we adopt children. In, in the Greek world in the first century, you could adopt an adult. Which meant you could wait to find out what their GPA was going to be. You could wait till after they graduated from medical school. You could wait to see if they're going to grow to be six foot ten and the ability to jump over a gymnasium. And then you say, I'll take him. I'll take her. See, it was a much better system. But understand, this is the picture. Paul says, before you took your first breath, 
God decided that he was going to adopt you into his family. That means you have the right of access. That means you have companionship. It gives you the promise of compassion, the sense that I belong to the God of the universe. But you got to understand something. You were chosen not based on anything that you had done. You were chosen not based on anything that you would ever do to be in an intimate relationship with God. But it gets even better in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Literally that means God bought us back. In other words, we were enslaved. We were in bondage to sin. And God saw us and he says, I'm going to purchase them. That's the picture here. That's what God did. And God's like, I don't care what the price is. I will outbid the highest bidder. I want him and I want her. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sin. By the way, this all happened before you even sinned. In other words, before you ever sinned the first time, God had already made the decision that he was going to forgive you of every sin you would ever commit in your life. He knew all the broken promises that you would make. And he decided to forgive you. He knew all the times you would get yourself in a jam. And you say, God, if you'll just get me out of this jam, I'll never do it again. And he'd get you out of the jam. And you turn right around and do it again. He knew all of that. And knowing all of that, God said, yeah, but I'm going to forgive him anyways. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Look at this. That he lavished on us. We love to talk about grace around here. And a good definition of grace is getting what we don't deserve. And this picture here that Paul is painting is a picture of God getting the, the, the biggest bucket that he could possibly find and just drenching us with his grace. In other words, we didn't get a little bit of what we didn't deserve. He lavished it upon us. Think about it. He gave us every spiritual blessing. He gave us re forgiveness regardless of what we have done. He purchased us off the slave block of sin regardless of the cost. I am telling you, he lavished his grace on us. Verse 9, and he made known, key word, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. In other words, Paul says, not only did he do this stuff, he told you all about it. In fact, he even had people write the Bible so that we know how it's going to end up. There's no mystery whatsoever. We know because the Bible says so that one day Jesus is going to come back to this earth. And he is going to destroy this earth. And then he's going to recreate it. And he's going to set up his earthly kingdom on this earth. And he's going to remove sin. And he's going to remove sorrow. And he's going to remove death. And he's going to remove pain. And we will live on this earth with God forever. As a Christian, that's what God has chosen for you. But it gets even better in verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Let me tell you what that means. Once you put your trust in what Jesus did for you through his death, his burial, and resurrection, God saved you. God saved you. At the moment when God saved you, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit moved into your life. And according to this verse, Paul says the Holy, the Holy Spirit's like a seal. Not like, not like a, or, or, not one of those kinds of seals. This is more like a stamp of approval, right? And the Holy Spirit is a reminder to us 
of what God is doing in our lives. Every time we're convicted when we sin. Every time we're comforted when we're hurting. Every time the Holy Spirit gives us a biblical insight. Maybe we've read a verse a hundred times and it never clicked and the light came on. But every time we read that verse, we're like, wow, now I get it, right? It is a reminder of all that God has done and all that God is going to continue to do in our lives. It's a reminder that our sins have been wiped away. It's a reminder that we have an inheritance. It's a reminder that we have a future. It's a reminder that we will live with God forever and ever and ever and ever in his perfect kingdom. Are you getting this? I think we should cheer. Are you getting this? Come on, if, you, if you're getting this. Okay. guys are acting a little bit like Presbyterians this morning. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> or a golf crowd. Golf, golf, golfing fans are the biggest geeks in the world. I'm sorry if you like that stuff. <laughs> in the hole. You know, no, no. So you got to do better than that when you're, when you're studying this stuff. I mean, you should be excited about it. Now, here's the big question. Do you know why God did all of this for you? Why would he do this? Let me show you. Look back at verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. Anytime you see the word will connected to God, think in accordance to his desire. This was God's desire. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, his desire, according to his good pleasure. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, his desire. So do you know why God did all of this for us? It was just because he wanted to. Just because he wanted to. It's not a reflection of anything good in us. It's not a reflection of anything that's happened or will happen in us. It is simply because God says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even to the point of the death of my son, I am going to have them as my own and they will be my children and they will live with me forever. And God made that decision just because he wanted to. Isn't that incredible? And wouldn't it be a shame if you're a Christian, wouldn't it be a shame that you, you lived your entire Christian life and all of those truths that we just blitzed through, they just remained words on a paper. Words on paper, they never ever connected with your heart. They never ever connected with your emotion. But can you imagine what would happen to your outlook on life if those truths in Ephesians chapter 1, if they touched down, if they connected at an emotional level in your life? I mean, what if it ever connected with your emotions? Even though God knew all the bad stuff that I was going to do, he chose me. Even though he knew all the times that I was going to get in trouble, he chose me. Even though he knew all the times that I would sin, even after I became a Christian, he still chose me. He chose to make me his child. He chose to forgive me, give me direct access to him. And right now, some of you are thinking, oh, great theological lesson, Mike, but I came here to learn about relationships. What does this have to do with relationships? What does this have to do with loving my enemy? It's simply this. What we've just talked about, I'm telling you, if it ever touched our lives at an emotional level, if it ever somehow got from our head to our heart, if it got from here just being theology, just being knowledge, and it actually grabbed our heart, 
It would revolutionize our perspective on every person around us. It would revolutionize every relationship, good or bad, that we have in our life. But I'm telling you something. Until we feel the emotion of these truths, until these things literally grab our heart, in other words, until what God has done for us becomes not just a head thing, but a heart thing, I'm just going to tell you, we will never consistently be able to return good for evil. We will never consistently be able to return love for hate. We will never consistently be able to return acceptance when someone has rejected us. But I'm telling you, if these truths grab our, grabs our heart, if they, if they just landed in our hearts, if they exploded in our hearts, when Jesus, when he said something like, hey, love your enemies, you know what our response would be? No problem. After all you've done for me, Jesus, what could you possibly ask me to do that would cause me to hesitate? Love my enemy? No problem. So understand what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1 is this. If I could just get you to understand at a heart level what God has done for you in your past, well, it's going to shape your future. And it's going to change your perspective on your relationships with other people. But if these concepts, if these truths, if they just remain words on a page, understand we're going to walk out of here with no change in our lives, no change in our relationships whatsoever. And that's why Paul concludes in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that they'll be open. I pray that it, it, it'll click. Somehow you'll get it in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul's writing the people in Ephesus this letter and he's going to talk about relationships. But he basically says this, before I get into all the relationship stuff, my prayer is you'll have one of those aha moments when the light comes on and it clicks so that your heart will be overwhelmed with all that God has done for you, so much so that when it finally comes time to tell your story, you'll say, oh, never mind. In light of what God has done for me, it's really not that important. It's really not that big of a deal. So what have we learned from Ephesians chapter 1? Let me give you three things. First of all, we've learned there's more to our story than we remember. No one has ever come to my office and said, let me share my story. By the way, the worst thing you can say to me when you come to my office is, I just want to let you know ahead of time, this is going to take a while. My spirit just closes. Right. No one has ever come to my office and said, hey, Mike, let me share with you my story. It began before the creation of the world. God chose me. God forgave me. God saved me. God lavished his grace all over me, and he provided eternal life. No one has ever, ever told me that. That's never the way anyone's story begins. You know where people start when they come to my office? They start in the very same place you would start if you came to my office, you know. You'd start at the part of your story where you were mistreated. You would start at the part of your story where you were abused or betrayed. You would start with the part where you were ripped off. You would start with a part of the story where he walked out on you or she walked out on you. Or maybe you would start with a part about your dysfunctional parents or, or what happened at work. But you would start with you, 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 you. And if that's all there was to your story, well, then maybe, 
maybe you should get a pass when it comes to loving your enemy. But what we've learned this weekend is that there's more to our story than we often remember. And when we put our traumas together, our betrayal, our abuse, our abandonment, when we put them together with the rest of the story of what God has done for us, see, it kind of diffuses the energy. It kind of diffuses the intensity of what we have a tendency to focus on in our lives. And we're able to find within ourselves not only the ability but the desire to move into those arenas of rejection, that arena of hurt or abandonment or abuse or betrayal. And we're able through God's grace to forgive our enemies and to love people as we've been loved. So that's the first thing we learn. There's more to our story than we remember. Second, we get a clear picture of how God deals with people. See, we, we, have, we have a pretty good picture here of how God works in a relationship. Five things I noticed. First of all, God offers us what we need. Second, God offers us what we don't deserve. Third, God doesn't retract his offer when it's refused. And aren't you glad? I mean, like in our teen years, God, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. But not right now. I just got my driver's license. Fun's just starting. Call me in a few years. God comes back in our college years. Hey, you ready to have a relationship? Not quite yet. Out from under the thumb of mom and dad. Smooth sailing ahead. Call me in a few years. Hey, you just got married. You ready for a relationship? Not yet. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Call me in a few years. Hey, how's that kid doing? Great. You want to be in a relationship? Call me in a few years when I get my career going. We reject him and reject him. He doesn't retract his offer when it's refused. Fourth, God doesn't make us pay him back. We get all free and clear. He gets ripped off. Doesn't complain about it. Fifth, when necessary, God lays down his life for us. Now, I want you to look at that. God offers us what we need. He offers us what we don't deserve. He doesn't retract his offer when it's refused. He doesn't make us pay him back. And when necessary, he lays down his life for us. Now, when you get an idea of how God treats us, does it make you want to say, God, this is the way you treat me. How in the world could I have been so selfish? How could I have been so self-centered? How could I have my life so caught up in my hurt, my pain, my rights, my expectations? I mean, doesn't it sort of clear the way for you to think differently about the people around you? Doesn't it bring some clarity, give you a better idea where God wants to take you in your relationships? Because understand, this is what God did for you. This is what God did for me just because he wanted to. And now understand, this is what he says to us. Now, I want you to get out there, regardless who the person is and regardless what they've done, I want you to treat the people in your life the way I've treated you. Here's the third thing we learned, and it's by implication, but i got to close the series with this. At the cross, we lose our right not to love our enemies. In other words, when we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross, see, at that point, understand, we lost our right not to, not to pursue relationships with the people who've hurt us. In fact, let me say this. If you're one of those individuals, and we all know someone like this, if you're one of those individuals that's all hung up on justice, right? Justice got to be justice. Everybody's got to get what he or she deserves. I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to follow Jesus where he wants to lead you because he's not all hung up on that. If you're one of those individuals who's all hung up on 
fairness and what's fair. And we live in a world, unfortunately, that's all about fairness. Well, you're not going to follow Jesus where he wants to lead you because he's not hung up on that. If you're one of those individuals who you're just hung up on, these are my rights and I got to get even and they got to get what they deserve. You're not going to follow Jesus in your relationship where he wants to lead you because I'm just letting you know he's not all hung up on that. But if your heart's desire is to be a child like your father in heaven, if your simple heart's desire is just to be the person that God has called you to be, I'm telling you, it will inspire you to go there with the people in your life. But this is what I've learned over 35 years of ministry. That will only happen when you get a real heart's view of what God has done for you through Christ. Because at the cross, all of our excuses melt away. I'm going to be honest. I'm no different than you are. People disappoint me. People hurt me. People betray me. There are times when people abandon. And my first instinct is to get even, teach them a lesson, block them out of my life. But I will not tell you a specific, specific number of how many times a day in my life I have to remind myself, wow, after what God has done for me, I don't think I can behave that way. And right now some of you are thinking, well, pfft, again, Mike, that may work for some, but it's just, it's just not going to work for me. You just don't know my story. But if you're a Christian, I would humbly respond, yes, I do. Here's your story. You were on your way to hell, and God in his mercy reached out and saved you and forgave you and loved you and accepted you, warts and all. And he did it just because he wanted to. That's your story. And I just want you to understand something. If you're here this weekend and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, that could be your story. That could be your story. Let's bow together. Let me just say as we wrap up this series that at some point you're not going to have all the answers, solutions. Not everything's going to be resolved. You're not going to live happily ever after in some relationships. It's just not going to work that way because it takes two people to be in a relationship and you only have control of your side. If you can get to the place where you can appreciate and understand what God has done for you through Jesus, it will change the way you see the people that have hurt you and abandoned you and betrayed you. Because we've done that to him over and over and over again. And he's had the attitude, oh, yeah, I've already forgiven you for that. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross to, to shed his precious blood. You want to talk about fairness? You want to talk about rights? The perfect son of God shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sin, was put in a borrowed tomb and three days later came back to life to validate and verify that he was indeed the son of God who was capable of taking away your sins. Maybe you're at church because you think, man, I just got to be better. I got to do better. It's not about what you can do. It's all about what he's already done. And God offers it to you as a free gift. He says, man, 
If that's what you're depending on to be in a relationship with me, done. But as long as you're trying to earn your way back to God, it's just not going to happen. On your best day, you'll never be good enough. On your most effective day, you'll never be able to do enough. All of our righteousness and attempts to be good, the book of Romans says, like filthy, nasty rags in the nostrils of God. So he says, here's a gift. If that's where you are, man, when you leave, don't just take off to the parking lot. If you go out these doors and turn left, you'll see the next steps counter. And there are people there who would love nothing more than to sit down with you and have a conversation about how you can be a child of God. How you can know that your sins are forgiven, that if you were to die today, you would spend all eternity with your Heavenly Father. And that could be your story. Father, thank you. Thank you that, wow, how inadequate does that sound? But we don't know what else to say. As Paul said when one time he was describing the gift of Jesus, he ran out of words and he finally said, just thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We can't even put words to it. That allows us to have this amazing relationship with you, but through your spirit, allows us to have this kind of relationship with people in our lives. Father, help us to get there. Help us to get there. Let it be our story. In your name we pray. 